Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Excellent, and welcome back to Micromobility. How are you going today, Horace? Where are you? I am in, uh, I'm in Boston, near Boston, New England. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, excellent. Well, look, to, uh, let's get straight into it. This conversation that we have coming on today um, came about because it's something that we've been talking about tangentially for a long time. We talked about it in a lot of our earlier episodes, but it's the topic of parking. And I can provide a little context here, but as we've been digging in, um, one of the big things that we've had, and actually a meeting we had when we were in New Zealand, uh, meeting with the Minister of Transport, is saying, well, if we're going to have micromobility everywhere, we need to have infrastructure for these places to be able to operate. Um, and the minister sort of looked at me and said, yeah, yeah, absolutely, but where are we going to put them? And we said, well, you t- just take where all these par- where all this parking is. And she goes, oh, <laughs> you know, there's a bit of a political issue with that, being able to remove parking from downtown. Um, and I think um, as we've been, I, I certainly I've been digging into it, and I know you have as well, um, we're finding that, you know, there are challenges to being able to repurpose roads. Um, but actually the most logical place is taking it from parking sure. um and and so i thought maybe what we could do is do you want to talk to um what it is that you've been finding as you've dug into parking what the challenges are and where the opportunities might be yes so so one of the phrases i began using is um as the as parking goes so goes the car mm. and in in many ways actually this is can be played backwards as as parking went, so went the car, because the, the, the greatest enabler for the car as it is today has been the provisioning of a, a, you know, enormous amounts of parking. And actually, the, there's this great uh, research that's available on the subject uh, from, um, from Professor, uh, uh, what's his name again? I, Donald I just... Shoup. We are both, yes. yeah, yeah, we, we would be both uh, considered to be Shoopistas, I believe is the term. Okay. Uh, if, you're, if you're a fan of Donald Shoop and his, and his parking policy ideas. Yes, well, he, he uh, and I recommend firstly that the he, uh, there's a book which is not actually very long in, uh, in publication, it's, although he, is, he has been spending most of his life, I believe, in, in this, on this topic. It's, He's quite a uh, you know quite advanced in age, but he has um, uh, he has recently published uh, the the sort of the opus on the subject. It's hundreds of pages long. I have not had the time to read it yet. Yeah, um, the uh, the high cost of free parking. Yes, the high cost of free parking. But there's a there's a short uh, interview you can find on I think Vox. Yeah, which, I'll link which to that in the uh, we'll in link the show to that, notes as but well. But it's a yeah. very quick summary. It only takes a few minutes to watch the video and read the article. But let me summarize it uh, quickly for you now. As as um, it's not uh, you know it's six hundred pages or so, you can't summarize it easily. But the, the 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 he gets into the history of why we have the laws that we have for parking and how it all began 
in the early years of the uh, of the automobile and how immediately cities were faced with the dilemma of what to do with with so many cars that were didn't exist a few years earlier and suddenly there are, there are literally millions of them and and, um, and because the nature of the car as a personal object means that it is in use only about an hour a day uh, it, it tends to uh, need to rest or sit for the remainder of the day which is 23 hours a day it needs to rest somewhere and 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 as a result, uh, the the congestion and clutter and and just like we have today, the dilemma of of micro vehicles not having a natural habitat in terms of their resting places, uh, they they uh, the, the cities had to scramble and devise schemes to to uh, regulate uh, and and channel them. So one of the things they did were initially the invention of the. Uh, parking meter, but he points out that that took several decades. So for many, many years, there were no parking meters. There was no way to actually charge for parking. And, um, and so um, one of the ways that cities got around this is actually to, to, in, in, uh, to regulate and require off-street parking because there wasn't enough on-street and the, the streets were getting clogged. So the idea was to, to get businesses to pay for having uh, park lo parking locations. So the history I did not know, by the way, the history is interesting. But what I did know was that we have so much parking today and the quantity of parking we have today, in the United States, it's estimated to be eight parking spots per car. Now, to give you an idea of how many spots that is, let's let's take another figure, which is the number of cars in use in the, U in the U.S. Now, according to uh, the the uh, several sources the, the the percentage of cars or the number of cars per thousand people in the U.S. is about 820. So yep. so you can say um, it's 82 percent of the population. It gives you the total number of cars in use. Now, um, if you do that calculation, the population of the United States is about 325 million. 82 percent yields about 265 million cars in the United States, or maybe this includes other vehicles than cars, trucks, and vans, and so on. But let's say it's 266 million vehicles. Um, that means if you multiply that by eight, you get the total number of parking spots about 2.1 billion. So it's <laughs> 2.1 billion. Now what I did beyond that, and this is mentioned roughly in a sketch kind of way, that um, it covers about 30% of all the real estate in cities in the United States. Now, that's just in cities. Obviously, you have to find uh, parking outside cities as well because you know you, we have on-street parking everywhere. Um, but so here's what I did beyond that calculation of the number of spots, the 2.1 billion. I then said, let's find out how big a parking spot is. Now, parking spots are regulated. They are. Uh, you know the the regulations vary by 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 you know location, and I think that the Society of Automotive Engineers has a, a guidance on this matter. Um, so I took the I took the guidance and sort of averaged. So the average width of a parking spot, and I'm going to give the figures in meters because it's easier to do math with. So the the parking uh, spots are about 2.7 meters wide in the United States, and uh, uh, the length or depth, as it as it's called, is about six meters. 
So imagine, therefore, that the allocation, you have, we know the number of spots, we know their, uh, their, their area. So we can actually create a calculation of the total area of parking uh, of spots. Now, this is just spots. Spots need access as well, so you need to think about, like, maybe you have a garage, but you also have a driveway. Which yeah, is, I was also going to say as well, because when you back out of a parking spot, you also need to have sufficient spot as exactly. well. Exactly. So yes. some of the calculations that I've seen have said, yep, you have sort of like the standard size parking, and then you actually have almost that again in terms of maneuvering yes, distance correct. around. And right? the maneuvering and, and, and extra space needed just to access the parking spot is, 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 is indeed a great number. So let me just get you the number of the actual landmass needed for the spots themselves, given the 2.1 billion figure and the size of the spot. That, that results in, again, this is going to become a, a very difficult number to grasp, but it's about 34 billion square meters. Now, again, this is hard to comprehend. The, the, if you add the access areas... Uh, that that was that you meant that we just mentioned. Uh, this is why we get that this estimate that it's roughly equivalent to the area of West Virginia, which is one of the states in the United States. So West Virginia's uh, landmass it's uh, twenty four thousand two hundred and thirty square miles. So I went through this exercise. Okay, someone says it's the size of West Virginia. Someone says it's it's uh, um, you know eight spots per per. So I, I try to reconcile these numbers. So if you, if, you, if you take that figure for the square area of West Virginia in meters square, it's actually 62 billion. Remember I just said it's about 34 for the parking spots directly. And so if you say, and as you pointed out, that yet there's yet another um, um, allocation for access to the parking spot, then you, indeed you would say that the parking cost in land mass in the United States is about the state of West Virginia or uh, about 60 uh, billion uh, square meters. Now, okay, a lot of numbers, but what is it, uh, what's, what's relevant about this? Well, you might as a society say it's a perfectly acceptable to give up the land mass of one of 50 states and not a very not the smallest of states and 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 you say that's fine for us to to store our cars and and that we do need eight spots per car which again adds up to a, a more land uh, allocated to cars than it has allocated to people to live on meaning sure. you know if you ask how much land does a man or a woman need well, you know, you can calculate that on a square meter basis as well, and we can, we can you know, debate that. But I wanted to point out another thing about this, this number is that if it's located in an urban area, that land, which is, of course, I know, very sparsely distributed, it isn't concentrated land, um, you know, strips along sides of roads, uh, parking lots, some some are on the surface, some are stacked together in parking garages and so on. So some of it is concentrated, some of it isn't. But you end up with this question of, well, what is this land worth? You know, mm -hmm. you could also ask, what is the state of West Virginia worth uh, as the land in West Virginia? But then you got to say, well, what if West Virginia was made up of mostly urban land? And yes. then you would say, well, what are these all these cities that make up West Virginia amount to? And, um, and so one way to do this is to calculate both what it costs to rent a square meter and how much it costs to buy a square meter. So we can calculate a value. And I did this just for fun. Um, the, 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 I had to calculate... You have a, a very funny idea of fun, Horace. This is... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um, you know, there 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 are ways of estimating the you know the the the, the rent per square meter. Actually, sure. uh, it's it, it, these are commonly cited numbers. So, and I didn't pick the most expensive real estate in the U.S. or in the world. I picked some, something like um, maybe a European city, which is a, probably expensive, but not the most expensive place. But I, I, I picked the idea of, of renting uh, uh, at the rate of about $37 per square meter, uh, which is $3.5 oh, yeah. um, uh, per month. So, yeah. so, and also to buy it is about 1720 dollars per square meter uh give you the the equivalent in feet it's um three and a half dollars per square foot or 160 dollars to buy per square foot so these are many times in europe you people cite uh, an apartment's cost in in a, on sure. a per per uh, square foot basis so what anyway what and this is now becoming a little bit absurdist because if you took the the value of the parking and then multiplied it by the urban rate, which again it does not apply, but just to give an idea, again we want to get some boundary. Um, I, you get the value of the land um, in terms of rent is fifteen point six um, trillion dollars, um, <laughs> you know, to rent, and and to purchase it's it's about sixty trillion dollars. Now. Again, what does this mean? These are very significant numbers because even the rental income is 75% of the U.S. GDP. So right. obviously we don't expect this to happen. This is an absurd idea. But in order to get a handle on what the commitment has been to paving that much land, to providing it to cars um, on, on such a copious basis, and also to um to 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 not charge very much for its use that that's what's interesting is how eight parking spots per car and so just so just to clarify as well when you say that there's eight car parking spots you'd say well there's obviously the home car parking spot and someone's work car parking spot and then there'll be like a supermarket car parking spot but that wouldn't be entirely attributable to that car but that one eight or one of those eight would be in part attributable to yeah, this. Uh, yeah, which is, it's ridiculous because a car normally only needs three spots, typically because you take three trips during the day, so you should have a home yeah. spot, you should have a work spot, you should have a shopping spot. But it's gotten to the point, so many countries are not at the level of eight, they might be at five or, or even three. But in, in, in the US, because it has, for example, so much retail, the number of square meters available for retail are like three, four times more than, than in most European countries. Because we have that retail, and most retail then has a requirement for attached parking, we ended up with this eight, eight, eight spots per car. So the, the, the logic came about not because anyone was doing any math, but rather simply that, and, and this again is in the book as well, that, that the, uh, the regulations were written over decades and said, okay, if, if you have a restaurant with so many square uh, with so many tables, for example, you need to have so many spots. If you have, mm -hmm. and, and even he even said, for example, if you're, so you have a swimming pool, as like, let's say it, you know it's a, it's a health club, it has a swimming pool. You have to have parking spots based on the amount of water in the pool, or you have to have you know parking spots based on uh, if it's a baseball field or or anything like that, based on the number of seats. And he said it's all basically guesswork and 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 
bloodletting is the I think the example he gave. It's kind of a yeah. Medieval, and do they did, does it have to idea. specify that it's free parking? Because I know in most places this parking is provided for free. Um, in most places, but it's it's yeah. not it's it's not. Uh, and, but I do believe there's regulation on if there is a p- a private parking. There's some regulation on how much you can charge. I know New York, Boston, some of the East Coast cities that are very old that were before the car, then the, the parking garages there tend to seem to all be priced the same way. And and that's because, again, there's a regulator that has come in and said that you can't price or, you, you know, you have to keep at a certain level. I, I don't know. It depends, again, on uh, on many factors, whether you can charge and how much. And uh, but most most places that are oriented around shopping, they want to reduce the cost of parking because they believe that the, that provides with more foot traffic because it's easier to get there. So there are, there are various various theories here, but in the aggregate, and again, you, you can you can justify anything. You you can go back and say, well, of course this makes sense. So someone had to make this decision on some basis, but the, 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 when you add it up in the aggregate, you get to some absurdity. And that's yeah. what, we, what we're pointing out, though, is now if you start with the aggregate and then work out backwards and say, well, hang on a sec, we haven't, we're living in an absurd uh, environment, so w- th- that seems anomalous, and so we have to step back and, and, and discuss why, how do we get here, what, what's the logic that's, that's being uh, uh, exhibited. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's two, there's two parts about it that is interesting to me. One is... There's, um, there's in a very kind of like hyper specific example, uh, uh, so I live in Wellington, we, a lot of our suburbs, uh, where you would have people who might want to be able to utilize micromobility in the form of e-bikes or scooters to be able to get into the center for their commutes, don't feel safe going on any of the arterial roads that connect the suburb to the city because those roads are typically pretty tight and, and, and yet when you look at those roads, they've got a heap of parked cars parked alongside them. So it's like where those cars are parked or where you would want to go and build dedicated infrastructure. And that's one. The second is actually the impact that this parking has on the built environment, which is the reason in part that we have so much sprawl is because you have a restaurant that, you know, it has this many tables, so it must have 20 car parks outside it. Well, those car parks mean that everything ends up getting spaced out very significantly, destroying the kind of the feel of the place because everything ends up quite far away from each other, which is in part where micromobility helps because it allows you to travel quickly between those places in a way that you wouldn't be able to when you're walking, but it still kind of makes it a really crappy environment. Yes, and where I read this, I don't remember, but during in those video games where, where people are racing through cities, you know, the, the driving games, well, the, the, the cities which are simulated in these games don't have parking. And the logic, <laughs> yeah, the logic of why there are no parking space or parking lots in the, in the, in the virtual worlds is that it would make the game too boring. That, and the, the, the excuse is that they're, they're all underground. They're all underground parking. But in reality, if you do go through major cities, newer ones anyway, you're just driving by a lot of parking lots. So we need cars to go to drive distances which are long because we have put most of the space to use to park cars which are needed to drive long distances. It's it's a circular argument. Yeah, right, totally, catch 22. 
So yeah. that, that, that's the absurdity of it all. It, it's that we ended up with a situation that doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, as, as a result, um, one way to look at it and to say, okay, we got ourselves into this situation. How do we undo it? And then we, do we try to remove parking? And it's very difficult to undo 100 years of development uh, and regulation and laws and behaviors. And once you created this dependency on the car, to actually destroy the enablers of that would cause people to be left with you know a lot of distress um, i believe and, it's yeah they, they call it like parking rage where people yeah. you know yeah there's stories of people getting out of their cars and like killing people because they're so so enraged that someone's taking their car parking space but in the political uh, case uh, equivalent of that is as you you pointed out city uh, mayors and and councils they said, we can't actually uh, do this easy politically. We may want to, but we're going to have hell to pay with uh, citizens uh, demanding uh, parking, businesses demanding parking. So it's almost, it seems like it's a catch-22. You can't, you can't do the right thing, and we have to preserve the wrong thing because there's some uh, pain to be overcome, and nobody wants to suffer. The point I'm making on this however, is a bit, let's take it a step further, which is to ask, given that there's so much land allocated to parking and there's so much land that's probably underutilized, wouldn't it make sense to, to perhaps invent a way to get better utilization out, out of this land? So one idea would be to, uh, to permit uh, cars and micro vehicles as well to use the same parking first of all and so and so we could we could maybe provide uh, the you know some of the spots to micro vehicles and then charge different rates for each one because right now we, we don't have a way to price a micro micro uh, micro spots micro spots are this idea that uh, and by the way a lot of people rage against micro vehicles because they're they're often parked on parked the sidewalks on the path, yeah and they're not that should not be allowed either but they don't really have alternatives and and when you do have millions of them in the city you don't you can't really just put them in bike spots because there aren't enough bike spots so you you, you need to you need to begin to to properly integrate them into the into the existing spaces that are uh, that are allocated to cars and yet pricing that uh, that usage of, of land. So what I'm equating fundamentally here is that transportation and land are, are closely inter interlinked. In particular, as I said, it, as parking goes, so goes the car. But as, as parking goes, so goes any other mode of transport and that is parked there. So the, the logic then is, is going to be, need to go towards this idea of Okay, we're, we're thinking about a transportation solution. What is the land use? What is the land, and how do we price that land? Because that's a common, uh, that that that's a common good. Often cities, no one owns the street that belongs to the city, and the city then decides how is what is a fair use of that land, and that goes Completely. to parking parking as well. So I don't suggest that micromobility should get somehow free access to parking it should certainly pay for parking but so should the car and and it should pay in proportion to how much it uses so a, a, you know a scooter if there are 20 scooters per parking spot then one it should it should be priced at 1 20th of what a car costs 
Course. So I, I've been having this exact argument in in front of my house. So I live in this quite nice part of um, Wellington, and it's a, sort of like a seashore uh, promenade. Um, in in front of my house, I can buy a residence parking permit for the equivalent of a dollar thirty seven a week. Mm. I, and th- there was a there was a recent discussion uh, in the council because they were talking about putting this rate up to maybe two dollars a week. And the amount of pushback that everybody got, I mean, it was like, oh my goodness, how how crazy is this? Um, you know, you're, you're coming along and it's the council trying to steal all this money and blah, 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 blah. And I, and I went and put forward the proposal and said, look, it's completely ridiculous how cheaply this area is parked. But the challenge that we have in the council is for them to be able to increase that pricing. I mean, to get a private car park is anywhere between 20 and $40 a week. So it's probably 15 to 20 times more expensive. Mm -hmm. The challenge that the council has is that they're constrained by, legislation at the at the national level as will be the case in most countries i think as well where they're only allowed to charge for cost recovery they're not allowed to turn it into a revenue source and that was originally done i think because councils would would price gouging (laughs) and charging high rates back in the sort of 50s and 60s i mean you've just got layers and layers in which the car has been entrenched into the way that we do things because it's because it's been around for so long, you know, yes. um, in the, in this, that make in, it very in, challenging to go along and say, well, no, absolutely. If you want the car parking spot, that's fine, but pay a thousand dollars a year for it. Pay pay what is appropriate well, for the it, land use. Even a thousand a year is remarkably cheap, and 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 what what we're not pricing is the uh, the fact that this is premium real estate. That if you aggregated it it would be equivalent to, you know, housing for millions and millions of people. And, yes. uh, and that, that's, the, that, that's, to me, the mysteries. And I call it the arbitrage opportunities to think about the fact that housing for cars is super cheap and housing for people is super expensive and getting even more so. And at some point when the delta between uh, the space for cars and space for people becomes so so large then people begin to think about living in cars because if the car pays so little rent why not use that as living space and we're seeing more and more of these things emerging with uh, with uh, you know people living in RVs on streets in California uh, there was a story that um, ran recently about a company in Japan that um, that is a, a, a short-term car rental, like a you know, like a zip car. What what the story pointed out is that this company was observed that there were many people who were renting the cars uh, and not driving them. They literally drove them for zero kilometers, and not like just a few hundred meters. No, actually zero meters. They got in the car, rented it for a couple of hours, and then got out of the car. And they began to survey people who did this and asked them, what did you do actually? Why did you rent our cars and not drive them? And they were gave, giving all these amazing answers. Basically, they were used as private space. People were using them to eat lunch. People were using them to make phone calls. People were using them to uh, practice singing, like karaoke. Uh, <laughs> there were countless reasons. Now, in Japan, of course, people don't have a lot of privacy. So the idea of a car... Uh, being private space uh, and, and it kind of gave you probably a feeling of solitude and and uh, you know happiness of having that that uh, place to yourself even if it's only for a few hours so in in a very dense environment and and by the way the rate for doing this was negligible you know it was just a few dollars 
of or, or oh you, because or, was or, it based yeah. on the uh, based on the uh, the mileage of the vehicle partly you know but I actually think that these these vehicles had the deal for with the city to have these parking spots for them that that you know were were fairly cheap so so they were only paying you know 10 15 let's say dollars or something for for a couple of hours so it wasn't a very expensive proposition then when i tweeted this out this 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 article people were started saying oh yeah i do this all the time and these were not these were americans doing this and they said um not not necessarily zero miles but if i'm a one case was that it was cheaper to rent a car and store your luggage while going you know if you have a long layover in uh, in a city um, and you didn't have anywhere to put your bags because now you, you know there are no lockers or things like that. People actually rent the car to to store stuff, and all of these jobs to be done as a result. When you look at them, so you you have people living in in RVs, uh, literally in 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 residential areas. People renting out their driveways to RVs to sit in 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 a driveway. Uh, we're seeing uh, use of short-term rental in dense urban areas for all kinds of space uses which again points out the fact that a car is space and it's a particularly cheap space it's space even if the car costs tens of thousands of dollars as a new car but you know the space doesn't care that you could buy a very cheap car it's that space that you're you're being granted um which which is remarkably cheap and so with real estate costs going into the millions for a house, why not live in a car? Why not live in an equivalent of a car? And then with autonomy, a lot of people would think about autonomy. I always, I always maintain that if we had real uh, autonomy, the natural application isn't, I want to uh, replace my Uber driving or, 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 or yeah. Uber riding, but rather I want to have an autonomous RV because then I could use it to live in and it would not be subject to uh, regulation as far as parking because it could move around by itself and avoid getting a parking ticket. Yeah, I think this well, makes. I mean, that's literally a million dollar opportunity for for someone to to you know they'll have to of course ban them, but this would. Be oh no no precisely. I remember having a conversation with someone who lives up in the Bay Area, and he was he has a house a house up in Tahoe, and he said I cannot wait until. I can buy the equivalent of an RV and just on a Friday night, just go and hop on the freeway and have it drive me up to Tahoe. And I'm like, this is the idea of hell because you know everybody else is going to try and do the same thing. And then this, you know, you'll just, the the entire freeway, the whole way up to Tahoe will just be entirely packed out full of people. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> exactly so, the same so- thing. But he's like, I don't really care. I'm not going to be driving it. So it's just like, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. precisely. Right? So we get, we get, to, we'll, we'll end up in a situation where you know the living, and uh, so the, the the again, transport is land or real estate because of the storage requirements, and and also it is uh, it is very cheap space. We've as a society decided to pay for this space mark it off and not let people live on it. And so as the delta between the space we are are allowed to live in and the spaces we're uh, only allowed to travel in or or park our vehicles in, as the delta grows and grows and grows, and again, people are rejecting the idea of increasing the, the 
the, the access fees for for sh the, the the driving space. Sure. Um, yeah. It, 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 at what point I ask, would would someone step in and say, I could save millions of dollars, or alternatively, I could arbitrage, meaning I could, uh, you know, buy in one market and sell in another market. The the idea that there's such a delta between the the these two types of land, technology will facilitate a lot of these business models. And yet, again, these begin to sound strangely absurdist because, of course, people will step in and start regulating, and the re regulations begin to sound absurd. Like, we, you know, n no autonomous RV is allowed to, to, to be driven during these daylight hours. Okay, yeah. so, so they're, they're going to start banning autonomous RVs, and, and, and then someone will try to go around that argument and say, well, my, my, my autonomous car is not an RV, don't pay any attention to the inflatable bed in the back, um, <laughs> and, and so on yeah. and so on, and so on and so on. And, and, and so at some point, some cities, and I'm speaking mostly those in, in, in the U.S. and, and the British and, and, and you know, Australia, for example, where we've committed to the car. But if you look at Europe, in Europe there are, uh, increasingly the movement is not, uh, is not just away from parking minimums, but rather towards pack parking maximums and parking maximums of, of zero, which means that no new development is permitted to have any parking associated with it. So mm -hmm. that is, uh, let's say, the enlightened view. And, and that view means in many cities we're going to see experiments, one where there'll be you know, increasingly onerous punishments for, for people living in parking areas whereas in other places we'll just see the elimination of parking areas. Now, when you, when you start to say, okay, so how, does, how do these cities develop as a result? Cities which dis decide to ban parking altogether or cities who try to essentially whack-a-mole to try to stop what is, what is uh, an over-allocation of parking being reallocated towards living? Because that's, sure. that, that's my expectation is that we're going to see in those cities and, and countries where too much parking exists, we see an arbitrage opportunity. And in, in other cities, we're going to see actually the complete elimination of parking and hence the elimination of cars and the, the opportunity for uh, micromobility to really take over as the primary mode. And, and of course, in combination with, with transit. So what, when you see these two worlds then begin to diverge, uh, as I think they will, we'll, we'll probably see societal differences, fundamental differences in, in, in cost of living, in, in health, and um, in, in quality of life, etc. Mm. So th those, are, those are very likely, uh, you know, I'm just pointing out that once you start to observe uh, a few years down the road, this, these phenomena starting up, um, keep an eye on it. It'll be fascinating and, and we'll see, well, I think we'll see um, the types of divergence that will possibly uh, cause the deep questions being asked about, you know, these foundational questions. I mean, the one part that I did find quite interesting about uh, Donald Shoup's work when I was reading through it, he's ad he advocates for one, um, actually just repricing parking. The next step that he's kind of got to is talking about actually for the, for the places that we have gone and mostly in residential uh, buildings and stuff like that, where at the moment we have car parking that's already been built um, in the form of garages that can all be retrofitted and turned into housing 
By the way, there's, there's been several you know, core beliefs in urban planning which have been completely reversed. We've had these types of um, The highways through the middle of downtown sort of thing? No, 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 but buildings that were developed as low-income housing and th th these, these block flats uh, that were built in the 1950s and 60s in many, many, many Western countries that are now being demolished uh, have been demolished since, being, since the 90s when, when uh, the, the, this idea of let's just build uh, um, featureless, tall, high-rise buildings for... Oh, you mean like the projects? Yeah, the projects. And, and so in many ways now there's been a, a pullback from that. There's been a reevaluation of that idea. Of course, we've had also, like you said, uh, some highways being being removed, uh, and so there isn't a one-way street only when it comes to urban planning. A lot of things people are reevaluating some old assumptions, and and you do see conversions and and changes, and um, it just seems to be happening slowly. I would only say that that what micromobility does is it acts as a lens in a sense that you, you start to see the world differently because this appears, this idea of on-demand micro vehicles being used for short distances in urban environments force us to ask the question of parking, force us to ask the questions of necessity of the car, force us mm -hmm. to ask the questions of land use. All these things suddenly come to the surface. These have been valid concerns for decades, but suddenly now we're saying, wait a minute, it's because of these machines now existing that we realize we have been wasting all this space and money on, on inefficiencies. So that, that's what I'm, I'm pointing out. And as a result, this lens that, that focuses light on, on these subjects will probably accelerate the transitions because it's a carrot and stick a dilemma. You you want to, on one hand, remove parking, but on the other hand, you want to offer alternatives and saying that actually there's a better way. What I think well-meaning city planners uh, have had a problem with is providing the carrot. They've wanted to, to use the stick of, let's face it, congestion pricing, uh, the removal of uh, parking, zoning uh, changes, street redesigns, uh, additional addition of, uh, of transit, all these things have been on their wish list for a long time and the violent resistance that occurs um, has been because these seem like a, a reduction in the uh, accessibility <coughs> of, of, uh, of cities and in, in kind of increasing costs, etc. And as a result, people are saying, well, why are you making life worse for me? And, and, and you say the, my benefit is in off in the you know, long-term future and that somehow the benefit is for entire society, but I'm going to suffer. So the idea is to, to then say, we have a solution for you that's actually better than what you're fighting for. So that's where I think micro is helpful. So mm. back to parking, just want to make sure that we, we cover this, this topic. And I think we need, to, we need to get a little bit deeper. And I have a few uh, interesting uh, thoughts exercises uh, to, to, to apply here is, uh, for example, wh what could happen uh, if you monetized the parking that exists? What, if, what could happen if you reallocated the parking to 
vehicles that might be used for um, for micro trips or even for living space, which again may shine a light on the situation and say it's an absurdity, but uh, it should accelerate the conversation. Um, sure. Anyway, it's it's a fascinating topic. I, I I would love to you know as I said one of the one of the highlights of my work in the last few years has been the understanding that most trips are short and that implication as to where the money is where the 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 vehicles should be the size shape and also the the time spent and the value of travel you have to rethink all of that once you understand this this phenomenal distribution game and secondly though now with parking is the realization is this is one of the big theses is the realization that transport and and vehicles are equivalent to land that that it's a real estate question and mm-hmm. the, and the aspects of real estate are profound in in so in so because they are a finite quantity so the the thing about um why the economics of land the economics of land are is peculiar because again it's it's a finite resource uh, we can't manufacture more of it, uh, unlike you know a lot of the things we, we we consume. We can't make more of it, and that's why uh, it doesn't depreciate. It's not an asset that you you measure the same way as you do a durable good or a perishable good. It's a very interesting economic uh, dynamic around land, and so when you equate that with transportation, say, wait a minute. Do you understand that that what you're dealing with, even though you're talking about emotion, you're talking about transport, you're talking about uh, dynamic things, there's a huge static element to it, which is that it's it's the most static of all. It's the unmoving element, which is land Hmm. itself. And these two two things being so deeply related, and again, one of the things this comes up a lot in a conversation on Twitter when I bring this up, most people say, aha, the answer is autonomy the un- the answer is shared yeah. autonomous vehicles but it isn't and that's the point i think we have to make maybe in another show but uh the, the, you know what is the impact of autonomy on all this because we, we you can imagine uh the argument utopian as i think it is um that we would somehow just have uh vehicles that don't need parking which is which is the premise of autonomy um, they don't need parking, yeah, they don't need drivers. Got, but that, I, I that, think we've got some great guests for that as well, potentially. But we should probably put that uh, as an item for the next show. So, so Absolutely. Well, awesome. Hey, thank you so much, Horace. Of course.